Welcome to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast, gathering evidence from the literature. My name is Cray Bolger, and I'm here with Mike Pratz and Jacob Avila. Hello. Hello. Hey, Cray. Hey, Jacob. What's up? Today's article is, does point-of-care ultrasound improve clinical outcomes in the emergency department patients with undifferentiated hypotension, an international randomized controlled trial from the shock ed investigators? Yes. I'm super excited about this. So what is shocked? Shocked is sonography and hypotension and cardiac arrest in the emergency department. So this was published in Annals of Emergency Medicine in 2018. So this is a hard hitting topic for point of care ultrasound people because this is really the patient population where we can see or we hope to see benefit in ultrasound, um, improving our patient's outcomes, management, and um, care is the critically ill, undifferentiated, hypotensive patient. That's kind of where we market our utility the most to. The other ones are fun and shiny, but this is really where we hope to make an impact. And so there's a lot of um, critiques of ultrasound as far as that there's not patient, patient-centered outcomes, that a lot of the sample populations we gather are only the experts getting the images and that we're not really showing a representative sample of who's actually acquiring the images on a day-to-day basis. And this study kind of took both those things on. A lot of the hypotension articles previously had looked at management changes based on ultrasound findings, and this one looks at patient outcomes based on the ultrasound findings in the undifferentiated hypotensive patient. Again, this is kind of one of the big nuggets that we use point-of-care ultrasound for is the undifferentiated hypotension patient. Is it shock? Is it trauma? Is it preload? Is it load? What's the real etiology for their hypotension? And so this study looked at if we use ultrasound compared to if we don't use ultrasound, how do the patient's morbidity and mortality change? Like Chris said, this was highly anticipated because everybody has been dying to know, does ultrasound help people live? Or is it... It's my lifeline. (laughs) Does it help people besides ultrasound experts like Cray live? Does it help patients live? And so it is incredible that we had a really well done trial to address this question. So Jacob, walk us through what did they do to find out if ultrasound helps. Sure, so this was a multi-centered study that was done in two different areas of the world. So they included six centers from North America and South Africa, and they took selected hypotensive patients. Um, and their criteria was systolic blood pressure less than 100 or a shock index greater than one. And they randomized them to get either an early point of care ultrasonography plus standard care or standard care without point-of-care ultrasonography. And they looked at diagnosis recorded at zero and 60 minutes. Their primary outcome was survival to 30 days or hospital discharge. They also looked at a couple of secondary outcomes as well, such as what was the initial treatment and investigations, their admissions, and the length of stay. Now, they had a couple of um, exclusion criteria. And their inclusion criteria were kind of the ones that we always think about. It was pregnancy, which is one that 
almost invariably will get excluded from any kind of um, study. Another inclusion criteria or exclusion criteria, excuse me, that was kind of interesting was the necessity of CPR or other advanced cardiac life support interventions, such as defibrillation, pacing, or inserting of a ventricular assist device. And if they had any history of trauma within the past 24 hours, they had an MI, or if they had a clear mechanism or cause for the hypotension or shock, like they had like a, you know, they're bleeding copiously out of their rectum, or they had the diagnosis of a, like an aneurysm or, or aortic aneurysm or something like that. Um, and the other one too, that was interesting, if they had a vagal episode, which I don't know how they would know that without the ultrasound, honestly. Um, and a low blood pressure considered to be non-pathologic. So you know how like sometimes people come into the ED and their blood pressure is like 90, um, but they're like totally fine that it's like maybe their baseline blood pressure. They excluded those ones as well. I thought it was safe that if whatever you see a sick patient with hypotension, just assume it's vagal and exclude them from <laughs> you know what? You're any right. sort of workup. You're right. Just assume that they're all vagal. Now, Is that what you guys do? Uh, yeah. No. Uh, yes, sometimes. It, it depends on, on if I'm feeling it or not. If I'm feeling it, then I definitely like will will definitely go and make sure uh, that they're safe. But if I'm not feeling it, I'll just assume it's all vasal vagal. Okay, good. Okay. Um, Now, the way they did the randomization is they used something called convenience sampling blocks by site. They did um, control group, which was no point of care or intervention, and they did batches of 100 envelopes. 50 of each group were assigned to each site. Um, and the envelopes themselves were sealed. So whenever they had a patient they were thinking about enrolling, they grabbed the envelope. If the envelope said use ultrasound, they used it. If the envelope said don't use ultrasound, they didn't use it. So what kind of ultrasound were they doing? Did they just only scan the vagus nerve and diagnose <laughs> that it was a vagal episode? It seems that their scan they made their own custom scan for this, which was based on both the ACEs and the RUSH protocols. So it in general, and we can link to those protocols in the show notes. They're basically two of the more popular ones of hypotensive protocols. So it involves views of the heart, the lung, IVC, abdominal aorta, and a fast scan to look for intraperitoneal hemorrhage. Gotcha. Yeah, there's a pretty sweet uh, picture, figure one, that kind of talks about like all the areas they looked at if you want to look for that. So let's get down to the results here. They ended up having 270 patients that they recruited after four years and the baseline demographics looked pretty similar between groups and guys i'm just going to cut to the chase without sugarcoating it there was no difference in the pocus arm versus the non-pocus arm for their primary outcome of survival to 30 days there's no difference Mm -hmm. so in the people who got point of care ultrasound 76.5 percent survival at 30 days control group 76.1 so that's it that's ultrasound's done <laughs> ultrasound is over yeah that's something that i like when i saw the conclusion i was kind of like bummed out about but did you make the want want noise i did in my head <laughs> like yeah but like the legit like tuba noise like it wasn't like the words it was like legit i thought that tuba. was more like a trombone because you got to get that sliding <laughs> um yeah but the tuba is like a little more resonant and feels worse i think mm. good point <laughs> Yeah. It's a sadder, sadder instrument. So there's a couple of like I think I'm super excited about this study um, because it, I think it was like the you know as far as I know there's the first one that's been this many institutions, this many patients, and looking at an outcome that from a uh, I guess from a machine point of view is the most important, which is just mortality. 
Um, the one thing, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. The one thing that I want to talk about is the fact that there was the sickest patients. So the ones that probably could use the ultrasound the most, I think were excluded. So that's patients that are undergoing um, any kind of active resuscitation as far as like needing to go through ACLS. Like those patients were excluded and... I think those patients would benefit the most. Patients that are having an MI, I, I kind of get that. Um, you don't always know that patients are having MI unless you do it. Pregnancy is another one too. Um, if they at any point were diagnosed with pregnancy, um, they were excluded. And uh, at least a couple of times, I want to say, at least a couple of times a year, maybe even more than that, there will be a female patient that swears she's not pregnant and comes in with a ruptured ectopic that I diagnose without any lab work and send up to the OR without any lab work whatsoever based on my ultrasound. Yeah, so you bring up a good point that other people have discussed with this article too. It seems that they excluded a lot of patients where ultrasound is known to have a benefit in really expediting their care. So all these cases are ones where maybe if we had included those and they composed more of the population, it would have shown some benefit. But we're just speculating. You know? Right, of it's course. It's hard to say. Yeah. I think also there's a lot more than just mortality um, as far as quality of life, length of stay in the hospital, timeliness of diagnosis, timeliness to appropriate treatment that aren't being looked at that I think unfortunately could have easily been looked at in this sample population. Like they did the risk stratification, they set the study up really well, looking at more factors um, such as level of care, time at the level of care, timeliness to diagnosis. You know, there's so much literature saying the earlier and more aggressively you resuscitate these patients, the less hypoperfused they are, the better they do. And I think that's where ultrasound has a huge benefit. I agree with Jacob. A lot of these patients, like clear causes of hypotension and shock, just because there's a clear cause doesn't mean I'm not using ultrasound. I'm not using it to make the no diagnosis all the time. Sometimes I'm using it to guide my resuscitation. So I think taking those people like, okay, so you have an MI. That doesn't mean that POCUS can't change your mortality because I see you go from a normal ejection fraction to decompensated heart failure in front of my eyes when you get worse, and we expedite more aggressive uh, interventions. So I think, you know, those kind of patient populations, like I said, the ones with clear causes of shock, like a ruptured ectopic, ultrasound's going to expedite the diagnosis. So maybe that 30-day mortality, if I get an ectopic, you know, up there in an hour or four hours, maybe the 30-day mortality is fine, but the length of stay in the hospital, the amount of blood products, fluids, et cetera, that the patient receives is going to be different. And so at 30 days, sure, everybody equals out, but cost, benefit, timeliness, and throughput are big things we need that are we are looking at in healthcare that we kind of didn't touch on in this study and I think would have been a great opportunity for the study to capitalize on. Yeah, there's a lot more to it than the outcomes they reported. And I think we should applaud them for choosing such uh, important patient-centered outcomes. But there is a lot of other benefits to point-of-care ultrasound that we could, we could have looked into here. And along the same lines of what you guys were talking about, it's important to note that in this population, they ended up having almost 90% of patients with non-cardiogenic shock. And of their total population, over 50% were ultimately determined to be due to sepsis. So you have to consider if this is a lot of sepsis or non-cardiogenic shock, how is the ultrasound really going to improve survival in people? And so I think 
in thinking through why maybe we didn't see a benefit here, that's another important piece of the puzzle. Another thing that people have brought up that's important is that they actually did a power analysis in this study that estimated they needed to have about 400 patients in order to show a 10% reduction in mortality. Well, they only got 270 because their research ethics board stopped due to slow recruitment. So they didn't achieve the amount of patients they needed to to show the reduction that they're showing. Now, 10% reduction in mortality, they were really shooting for the stars. But still, if you don't get the numbers that you were setting out to, it's hard to conclude that your study is truly negative. Now, another thing I noticed when digging through some of these hidden appendices online is that a good percent of the views could not be obtained in a lot of these patients. So up to 50% of some of the cardiac views, especially when they were assessing for right heart function, they couldn't actually assess one way or another. They said it was indeterminate. So you have to also wonder, maybe these results would have been different if there were more highly trained POCUS experts performing a lot of these scans. That then limits your external validity, but you know who knows what the results would have shown. Well, for me, I mean, the, the thing that we talked about when we looked at this at our uh, residency um, is the fact that sometimes, in, I mean, often in hypertensive patients, you don't know, have any idea what's going on, and you, you know, want to do this kind of broad rush exam type exam to just like look at everything. But the way that I usually end up using ultrasound is to answer a specific question. Um, you know, like, does this patient have a ruptured AAA? Do they have a positive fast? Do they have a DVT and right heart strain? And as you said, sepsis was the most common um, thing that was diagnosed. And honestly, that's the most common cause of hypotension in general. But I think that the benefit of ultrasound comes in ruling out or ruling in, um, you know, depending on how accurate ultrasound is for those things, specific things. Um, for whatever reason at my shop, we tend to, I feel like the past like few months, every week we diagnose somebody with tamponade that had no, like tamponade was like three or four on the differential before we did the ultrasound. Um, and in those cases, the ultrasound is hugely beneficial because they came in with cardiac sounding complaints and I wanted to see what the heart was doing. And I found tamponade specifically. I didn't do a full rush exam on these guys. I had a specific question that I had to answer. Um, and if you look at, you know, their, their totals, they're ones that were directly identifiable by ultrasound. There wasn't like a whole lot of patients that had like venous thromboembolic disease as their diagnosis for their hypotension. Um, there was like two with aneurysms or aortic dissections. There was one with tension pneumothorax. There was one with cardiac tamponade. All of those things, ultrasound is the best test for those specific things. So maybe it's more about applying ultrasound in the right patient population rather than in all hypotensive patients. That's kind of like the conclusion that I, I kind of gathered when I looked at this initially. Well, let me throw another pancake on our stack here because there's another study that came out around this same time. It's called Transthoracic Echocardiography and Mortality and Sepsis, mm -hmm. an analysis of the MIMIC database. This was published in Intensive Care Medicine, June 2018. And although this was a retrospective study and it used only comprehensive echoes performed in the ICU, so this was interesting because it was 6,300 patients in the ICU who got a TTE, a transthoracic echo, versus those who did not have an echo. And they actually did find a mortality benefit. So the people that got an echo, 25% mortality, compared to no echo, 30% mortality. They also found that if you had an echo, 
they ended up using dobutamine more, higher doses of norepinephrine, less vasopressor duration. So there's a couple benefits that they realized from just having this additional information in the ICU. Mm -hmm. So although this was retrospective and comprehensive echo compared to point of care, well, there's still some interesting conclusions you can draw. Was it because they had 6,000 patients that they looked at that they could find a difference in this septic population? Was it because they had comprehensive echoes that were all done in the same way and could be read by a cardiologist? I don't know, but it's interesting. And to me, it doesn't close the door on the possibility that ultrasound is helpful even in a purely septic population. Yeah, and what I like about that other study is that they got the echo based, I'm assuming, based because they wanted to answer a specific question, what is the heart doing? Um, Which I think is a great application of ultrasound when you ask a specific question for the ultrasound to actually answer a specific question, which is not necessarily, I think that the question might have been too broad with the shock ED study. And then with this transthoracic echo, the, the MIMIC-3 database today that you're talking about, they actually, I'm assuming they got the echo. They didn't just willy-nilly get the echo on everybody. They got it specifically for patients who they thought the echo would be helpful. And then in that patient population, they, they showed a mortality benefit. So let me try to summarize this study, and then we'll give you some take-home points. So this was a multi-center prospective study that was in six sites across the U.S. and South Africa. They ended up having 270 patients, which did not meet their predetermined power analysis. They found that comparing a group that had point-of-care ultrasound in these hypotensive, undifferentiated patients, there was no difference in 30-day mortality. We brought up some important limitations that, one, they had a lot of exclusion criteria that may have limited the benefit of using point-of-care ultrasound. And they didn't meet their recruitment goal either, so maybe there would have been a difference realized otherwise. So I think the take-home points that we have from this study is that in this randomized control trial, there really weren't enough patients enrolled to find a 10% mortality difference between their arms. However, based on their data, maybe we should question whether POCUS in hypotensive patients would have a mortality benefit or any of the other changes, such as length of stay or changes in management. However, however... This article is not sufficient evidence to stop using point-of-care ultrasound in this population. No new coat racks in the ER? No, we're not ready to make them into coat racks yet. So I would hang on to your point-of-care ultrasound machines, keep doing ultrasound in the hypotensive patient, because there are still ways that you can really help your management, and we still believe there's probably a good benefit to your patients. Either way, this is a great study to be aware of. We really applaud the authors for taking this on and doing this wonderful work because it really adds to our knowledge in this population. Hey, just wanted to give a quick announcement. Ultrasound fellowship season is upon us, and all of the people in this podcast have really solid ultrasound fellowship program. So if you're interested in applying to a fellowship at one of our institutions, just shoot us an email. We'll get it to the right person, and we'd really love to hear from you. Again, I want to thank you for listening, and if you want to find out more about our podcast, you can go to ultrasoundjail.org. You can check us out on Facebook or Google+, and find us on Twitter. Say hello. I guess that's it. So, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you later. More. 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 More.
It's a lot of words. There's a lot of things. We're we're gonna get through this together, you guys. I, I we're okay, gonna you we're gonna this. be able to do this. <laughs> <laughs>